This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Christy Wood to discuss her journey of encountering the real Jesus after growing up in an environment profoundly influenced by Bill Gothard's teachings. That environment included rigid rules, legalism, and an approach to faith in Jesus that did not match up to the Jesus Christy encountered when she read the Word of God as a teenager. Slowly, she began to question many of the doctrinal beliefs she held, eventually experiencing freedom in the love, grace, and sacrifice of Jesus. As you listen to Christy's story, you may find yourself wanting to explore further, or maybe you're curious about what it looks like to heal from spiritual trauma or abuse. If that's you or someone you know, I have a free resource list for those who've been spiritually wounded or who want to better understand spiritual abuse and those impacted. You can find that resource list at graceenoughpodcast.com slash spiritual hurt. That's graceenoughpodcast.com slash spiritual hurt. Good morning, Christy. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We today have a wonderful conversation really about your faith experience Mm -hmm. as um, a teenager and being involved in a cult experience. And so the way I want to open this conversation is with a little bit of the backstory of your family life. Like what was your family culture, your siblings kind of lay the foundation for us there as we dive in. So I grew up in a family of just three children. And as I went on in my life, that was very unusual to only have three children, but we just had three of us. I was the oldest. And then I had a little brother and a little sister. Uh, My mom and dad, we grew up in the thumb of Michigan, which is like farm country and like very rural. And so my mom just loved to homeschool. She loved to bake bread. She loved to garden. She loved all these old fashioned things before it's cool. Like it's cool now. Everyone wants to do it. (laughs) But back then it wasn't as cool. And my dad was actually a public school teacher. So that's Mm. kind of weird and unusual for my story because, um, you know, I was homeschooled in a cult and my dad taught in public school the whole time. Interesting. Yeah. So I was raised real old fashioned, even from the beginning, just like we didn't have a television and we just did a lot of outside activities. And like I said, my mom loved these old fashioned activities. And so even before we got into our cult, it was just a very chill, old fashioned, happy little childhood. At what point, like, were they religious at all at this point? Oh, yeah. Like, were, so you were in a Christian family. Yes. And you were very much involved in church at that time? Yes. So my parents came to Christ in college. They okay. came from families who were not believers. So that they had their encounter with Jesus in college. And I think that really played a lot into how they ended up in the cult, which we'll talk about. So they were believers and we went to church and, you know, we were a Christian family and 
yeah, very involved. I knew about Jesus from the time that I was, I don't know, could talk. So at some point along the way, they did get very involved with Bill Gothard and yes, all of the things that go along with that. Yes. Share a little bit of if you even know, because I yeah. know sometimes like what we remember about how our family got involved in certain things uh, is it, very little. You just remember the highs and the lows. But do you recall anything about how that process ended up happening? Yeah, I've actually had this conversation with them because I was just very curious mm -hmm. as I was exploring my own story. Like, where did this even come from? And it's, you have to understand, like Bill Gothard didn't start out as this cult leader that we see him as nowadays. Mm -hmm. In the 70s and in the 80s, he was kind of evangelical, like niche evangelical, like, you know, a little fringy, but still evangelical. People were consider considered him to be this big thing. And so everybody, everybody was going to his basic seminar. Yeah. And it used to be the, the um, Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. And then it right. switched to the Institute in Basic and Basic Life Principles. And so everybody went. And so as college students, they were involved in his house, campus ministry. And the campus okay. minister that they were involved with took everyone to the basic seminar. And so okay. that was their initial kind of introduction to Gothard. And someone else that they really felt connected to at college, another couple who was maybe five to 10 years older than them, got involved in the homeschooling program first. So we had already been homeschooling. So we were already like the weird homeschoolers in the 80s because nobody was doing that. <laughs> and so we were scared of the school buses and like it wasn't even legal at first. You know, my dad teaches in the public school. Like it was a whole weird situation. That is so and, crazy. I know, right? <laughs> I remember going to the grocery store and people being like, why aren't you in school? And I'd be like, because we're homeschooled. And they'd be like, is that legal? I mean, it was, it was, that was, that's when I was homeschooled. So like, the, you know, See, but I want to know, like, what did your dad say about it at this point? Was he just like, I, he really believed in it, but I mean, he, his job was, he was a school teacher. So that's yeah. what he had to do. Yeah. He taught at a technical center. So he taught AutoCAD and drafting. So I think he was initially drafting at first. So he was more doing like the technical side of things, not education yeah. side of things as well. But yeah, it was complicated, you know, kind of weird and paradoxical. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's but awesome. They um so their friends got involved right almost as soon as the program opened. And okay. my parents really heard positive things about it from them and really respected this couple. And so they wanted to get into it for years, but you had to apply, you had to be accepted, you had to agree to these like set of rules. And so my mom just recently said to me, as I we were talking about my book that I wrote, she's like, I don't understand why God would have let it happen. She's like, I prayed to get into ATI, which is the homeschooling program. Now, why would he have let that happen? I'm like, that's a really good question. I don't know. But like, this is part of my story now and he's using it and I'm talking mm. about it and I'm writing about it. And like, good question, mom. Like, I don't know, but you know. So she has said that to you yes. in conversations, like yes. in recent years. Recent years. Yep. So where does she stand on how she views all of what's happened? It's been a process. So when I, 10 years ago, when I first started blogging and and talking and processing my story my parents struggled like they were like because they were still very much involved in IBLP no no we we had a gradual slide out of it because we were never really hardcore people in the beginning my dad was a public school teacher so we were just yeah, kind of yeah. like on on the fringe and then it was kind of just a slide out but they still didn't see it like as a cult like I did or as you know all the problems with it like I did and so it was kind of like it wasn't that bad come on Christy like are you, you're kind of being a little exaggeratory kind of thing 
But over the years, we've talked and I gave them a book called A Matter of Basic Principles by Don Vinoy, who actually researches cults. And he had gone through Bill Gothard's cult, you know, his whole thing had gone through and really just said, no, this is, this is bad. And so they read that and they thanked me for that. And Mm. then since then, they've been very comfortable saying like, you know, yes, this was a cult. There were all kinds of red flags that we should have seen and we should have noticed. And so it's been really a good, healthy kind of experience. And I know a lot of people who grew up like me have not been able to have that kind of healthy experience Mm -hmm. with their families. So I do think that that's unusual and beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I also think though that this points to what you said earlier about how what it started as is not what it became and how it speaks a lot to power and humility and accountability and how much those things matter because things really are most of the time a very slow fade. And as you've looked back, do you feel that to be true? Um, No, I think Gothard was always wrong. Okay. Like if you look, if you look at the history, there's a website called recoveringgrace.org and they have all the history from back when it was the Institute and Basic Youth Complex. And there was actually sexual harassment Mm. and abuse that happened back then that he was tried to be held accountable for. And then he just like switched the organization and took over again. Wow. He's always taught twisted scripture. He's always been Mm. almost true. He's always taught formulas. He's always told false gospel. And there's always been sexual harassment involved, unfortunately. Okay. That's good to know for people who are outsiders and for someone who I wasn't raised in Christian culture, Mm -hmm. but I'm very close with people who were, who will say like, yeah, I went to just the seminars. I was never quote unquote involved, but I had attended seminars and I learned a lot of valuable things. And you know, that whole like where is the separation? Where is it? When is it okay to just say, okay, I learned from him and I can do that versus absolutely not. You have to reject all of this because we're talking about an abusive situation. I think it's complicated because he (laughs) he tended to steal things from people who were like legitimate. And so some of his stuff is actually real because he took it from someone else. Or, you know, there really is scripture in there. So God can use anything, mm-hmm. right? And he does. I mean, he's used absolute tragedy over and over again. Absolutely. And so it is complicated and it is something that I don't think you can have a cut and dry answer. And it's got to be like, well, it's both. Like it was good and bad. But I mean, wow. I've had experiences like that recently with church situations where I'm like, for sure, this was like a huge part of my life where I grew, but look at what it really was. Like, this is really dark and, you know, abusive underneath the, you know, just it's, it's messy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, so tell me this, go back to a day in the life of 16 year old Christy and tell me, just tell me what that looked like. Hmm. Well, at 16, I was um, only wearing dresses. So I no longer wore pants. And at 16, I would have had super, super long hair and I was being homeschooled in Bill Gothard's curriculum. Okay. So pause. So I... <laughs> long dress and hair was as a result of following Gothard. Okay. Continue. Yep. And then we also were part of a cultic church where everybody there followed Gothard and people were driving two and a half hours to get to mm-hmm. church twice a week. And so they all, we all looked the same. We were like-minded. And so that felt good in that I didn't feel like I was strange <laughs> and out there compared mm-hmm. to the other people in the world. I had a place where I felt like I belonged, um, but it was also like very, very brainwashing, like 
very brainwashing. I feel like that's where most of my junk came from. My parents mm. were trying really hard to, you know, sift and pick and choose, but brainwashed in the youth program at that church. Like how so? The youth pastor, we didn't really have a youth group. It was, it's dumb, but like there were youth <laughs> groups were bad. <laughs> youth groups were bad. And so there was like no youth group, but there was still a young adult group. So you could be like 14 to, if you weren't married. So we had people in their thirties that were part of this thing, but the youth mm. guy in charge, um, had worked directly at headquarters for Bill Gothard okay. and was a diehard fan and was just completely believed everything that was taught. And so he regurgitated stuff to us very much behavior-based and rules-based and do these things and don't do those things and, you know, watch out for this because it's dangerous and, you know, God's going to get you if you step out of line, just that whole thing. So it was very, yeah, that's where I would say most of my damage happened. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. So then at what point did you start realizing something, something's not right here? Like, because I know we don't really at a young age have language for cults. I mean, most of the time. Like, it's not yeah. something we're all going to explore unless it's your lived experience most of the time. <laughs> right, right. And so, like, yeah, what did that journey look like? So it started when I was 15. Um, and it Okay, started- so at 15, you started realizing something was off. At 15, I met Jesus. Okay, so so <laughs> I got to start there. You'd been a part of this, this whole I'd time. I've been a part of the church. I had trusted Jesus as my savior when I was seven. I believed in God, but he was a concept Mm-hmm. He was an idea. Mm-hmm. He was the name on a page of an old book. And yeah. I was- Which can happen ru- to anyone. Right. Absolutely. I was a rule follower. I was doing the things. I was being the good girl. I wanted mm-hmm. to be people to you know be liking me and pleased with me. And so it never really occurred to me to question anything until one day when I was 15 and I was doing actually a homeschool assignment where my mother said, here's a list of God's names. Go pray them. That mm. was my job. I know. Well- <laughs> So I, mean, I took it, took I, it to I've my probably bedroom. been guilty of things like that already. <laughs> took it to my bedroom <laughs> and I started going through the names of God. Like, God, you are, you know, Elroy, you see us. God, you are Jehovah Jireh, you provide for us kind of thing. So I'm going through these names and inexplicably a presence showed up mm-hmm. in my room with me that I was not looking for, that I was not expecting. And I remember just being like, God's real, like mm-hmm. real, real. And that changed yeah. everything. I was like, if he's real, I want to know him. And so for the next four years, I would say I started just seeking after Jesus for myself. 
So I was reading the Bible in context for myself. I was praying for myself and I was experiencing this relationship, which I now know is with the Holy Spirit. Right, you know, like right. it was just a very real, very real, very genuine relationship. So he just drew me um, into just knowing him. I, I remember I would just mm. like take these long walks out to the farm field, just talking to him about everything and just learning what, what does his voice sound like? What is it, you know, what does the scripture really mean? Like just all this kind of stuff. And so for four years, as I get to know Jesus, um, life just drastically began to change inside of my heart. Um, mm. I started finding the power of the Holy Spirit in that, like, if I just was trusting in him to flow through me and live through me, I no longer had to follow the rules as much. Like weird things were happening where I was just like more joyful, more loving, more <laughs> fruits of the spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. But like, I didn't know that. I was just experiencing it. And it all kind of came to a head at family camp when I was 19. And, and family camp is a part of Gothard's? No, family camp was a part of the crazy church. Okay. So, so the crazy church would come together. <laughs> this is so, I'm like, try, I need a map right now. Not right? Like, a, like a tree of telling so, me all the different pieces. <laughs> think, think of Gothard just as the homeschooling program. Okay. Like that's all we used him for. Like we didn't really go to his sem- like his stuff. We went to a few seminars here and there, but I wasn't involved in training centers. I wasn't involved in a lot of the other stuff. So he was just homeschooling. Then there was like crazy church. Yeah, or- church was still highly influenced by Gothard. Highly influenced by Gothard, yes. But highly, not necessarily affiliated. Correct. Like very connected. The pastor was very connected to him. The son was very connected to him. They all knew him. Okay. Like, personally. Yeah, but yeah, not okay. necessarily like this is my church. Kind of, although it did actually become that after we left. It, it was it was his model <laughs> church. Anyway, okay, whole different. So, okay, crazy church had family camp, and all of us would go to this camp every summer, and we would take it over, and we would you know stay in the cabins and campers and tents and whatever, and we would have this speaker come in, yeah, and we'd have chapel services and like family camp, you know, just like super conservative, fundamental, culty family camp. Yeah. So <laughs> even though there are lots of fun family camps that are exactly, not <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So the first half of the week, we had a messianic Jewish person come in hmm. and he was um, amazing. Like, yeah, he talked, he talked about Jesus. And I was like, I know you're Jesus. Like I'm resonating with you. Like this is the Jesus that I know. And I was all excited. Wow. And I was sitting in the very front of the chapel and I was like, you know, taking notes and like all excited. The second half of the week, a man came in who was very well known in super fundamental circles and he gave rules. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you don't do these things, God will not bless you. Oh, and he, I mean, and I literally looked at him and I was like, are we talking about the same God? Mm-hmm. And I hated going to chapel. I started sitting in the back with the rebel kids, which is like not who I was at all, but I was so frustrated. I would cross my arms. I would slouch. It was just bitter taste in my mouth. I was like, this is, this is horrible. And so it was after one of those chapels, I was like walking back and forth in the woods, like, okay, you can't both be God. Like you can't both be God. They That's don't, right. you don't line up. And so that was like the beginning of my journey out. Mm. Cause about 19, I started questioning. I started doubting. I started becoming this rebel. People tried to get me back on the straight and narrow, like Christy, you shouldn't be asking these questions. I was like, Oh, I'm asking these questions. And this <laughs> and whole I'm, time you're following Christ yeah. into the questions, but you're just yeah. in such a rigid religious setting that they consider you a rebel, which I know what it's like (laughs) to be a rebel and call some conservative things into question. And you really do become an outsider. People really do look at you like you're the problem. Absolutely. It is the craziest thing to be in a room full of other believers and feel like 
you are a complete outsider because you yeah. decide to question some of the things they've done. Yeah. Woo girl. Okay. So <laughs> at 19, were you done with IBLP stuff? Because obviously at this point you're no longer being homeschooled. You're stepping into college or what? What does that look well, like? Well, you don't go to college in IBLP when you're a girl. Okay. So you didn't. I did not go to college until I was 21, 21. So really? two, you don't for... go to college because you're a homemaker. Yeah. Cause you're supposed to get mar married at 17 or 18 and start this family and have, you know, 16 gazillion kids and with no education and just rely on your husband, mm -hmm. which often the men didn't go to college either because college was considered secular and people were going to question and doubt. So, wow. Yeah. If anybody's listening and this is part of your story and I'm not, you may not even be a part of a cult. You may just be like, that's what you think because yep your parents or whatever. No, that is not freedom in Christ. Nope. That is not freedom in Christ. Nope. That's, <laughs> that is that's, religion. That's, that's religion. <laughs> that's rules. It's, you know, it's yeah, not at all. So I did not go to, to, to go to college. Um, I stayed home. I, um, you know, worked as a nanny or different things like that, but I lived in my parents' home. And so it was actually two more years um, after really starting to question and doubt. And I still had a relationship with Jesus. I still kind of did stuff with the church here and there, but we actually left that church at that point in time. Um, and Your whole family. Yeah. And went to a more local church and then eventually left that church and went to an actual like normal Baptist church, which felt like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you say a normal Baptist church because... I consider even that so concerned. Oh, I know. I know. But it felt like not conservative at all, you know? I, so I like totally get it. Slow, like I said, it was a slow fade for my whole family to kind of just slide out of Gothard. But the problem with that kind of indoctrination is that it's got these tentacles that just wrap themselves around your heart and your mind. And it takes you years to untangle it all. Well, and I think the thing is, is because there is some, like we were talking about earlier, some good... Yeah. in it there are that's right some truth and god does use it and so going back to that question your mom asked like why would god let us into this mm -hmm. yeah. if he didn't want it and that is a question i mean that's a decades old question yeah. i mean much more than decades but there is always that like free will versus god's I sovereignty I and none of us really understand it and why aren't we protected all the time blah 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 i mean it just goes yeah. on and on uh, like, so you went to college let's let's talk yeah, about yeah. that was that you in rebellion at that point like full on or no. what was that no. see that's the weird part i never actually like fully rebelled i was labeled a rebel i think i rebelled against certain teachings and rules and stuff like that. But it wasn't, I mean, I was still following Jesus. Like I still had this relationship yeah. with Jesus. So I feel like he was kind of guiding me out and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so, no, I actually went to summer camp um, when I, in 20, let's see, what would it be? 2002, I went to summer camp and I came in my long skirts and my hair and I was going to go be a counselor at summer camp. And I was going to, you know, share Jesus with these kids. And instead I encountered worldly Christians oh. <laughs> who loved me. And showed me the genuine grace of God that I had never mm. experienced before in my entire life. And I think, I mean, I came to camp as a 21-year-old, but emotionally and mentally, I was probably closer to like a junior higher. <laughs> like I hadn't had these experiences. And so I had like a gazillion first experiences that summer. I learned to worship to Christian rock. Oh, no. There was a beat, you know, and I like was swaying and put my hands up and like, I bought my first pair of pants and I flirted with boys and I, and like, you're how old at this point? 21, 20, 21. And so but it was like this 
first, like, what is this? Like, is this real? Is this freedom? Like, and I think that was really just kind of this like solidifying, like, I think I've been brainwashed. Hmm. And so um, I left camp and actually got a cartilage piercing, which was like the <laughs> most evil thing ever. But just as a Explain reminder, to people I, what a cartilage piercing is. Right the here. top part of the ear. Yes. You all, so you were allowed so, to have one piercing if you're a girl with very small earrings. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's worldly. Mm-hmm. So I got my cartilage piercing. All you piercing, school leaders out there, too, who make all these rules, remember these are your rules, not God's rules. So I was terrified to show my parents. I have no idea what they're going to think about me you know, with my Carlos piercing, but I knew I needed it. I needed it to remind myself, like, I'm free. Like, you're free, girl. I went to college that fall. My dad had been telling me for years to go to college. And I was like, I can't go to college, dad. I'm a girl. Oh, wow. Because I looked at I was brainwashed more than my family was trying to, you know, my parents. Well, were. because you were also raised in that setting in all yes. the formational years. I've said to my From husband 12, many times, I'm kind of glad I don't have even the Christian what you wouldn't consider conservative. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I wasn't raised with that baggage. Although on the flip side of that, the baggage I have is also really, really nasty. It's just right. not spiritual baggage, but it is sexual right. baggage. And it is yeah. just straight up rebellious, worldly baggage in all the ways yeah. you think of that. And so that's a weird thing as a teenager to wrestle with on either side. It is. And I think that's just the, that's just the nature of our broken it world. Is. Like we're all going to have this baggage that we have to walk through. But with. spiritual baggage were... is a different thing. Cause we, it, we struggle to not blame it on God. And that's, that's yeah. a big difference. Okay. So you went to college, but you went to Christian college. No, I went to secular college. How was that experience? So I, <laughs> I start, um, <laughs> it's like, these people have gone I, off the rails. <laughs> You have to understand, like at this point in time, I was still doing a lot of the standards because I wanted yeah. to. So like, I no longer thought that they were something I had to do, but like, I wanted to look feminine. So I was still wearing dresses most of the time. I still had super long hair because I thought this was something that I wanted to do for mm. Jesus. I didn't realize it was something that I didn't have to do anymore. Mm. And so I went to college in my long jean jumpers and my long hair. And I um, befriended this. I was so innocent. Like I was just so clueless we're never so, gonna get anywhere still- in this conversation because I keep interrupting you because my husband I I brought home this jean dress that I really liked a couple years ago and I put it on I loved it it's so cute he was like you look straight up like a 1980s homeschooling Home- mom please stop it and I was like dang it you just ruined it for me I really think this dress is trendy and cute and you just killed it <laughs> sorry continue yeah. on with your jean dress act so, <laughs> well, I was still living at home at this point because I was at, um, it's called Baker University and they had small campuses throughout the state. And so they had a small campus in my hometown. So I was able to kind of start classes there while I lived at home. And I befriended this guy that I now call Dan the Dragon Man. He wore these long trench coats and had like satanic t-shirts, but I was so innocent that I had no idea. I was just like, oh, he needs Jesus. My parents were like, he he does need oh. Jesus. Well, maybe not from an innocent 21-year-old homeschooled girl. True story. So anyway, um, I spent a year there and then I moved out to um a town a couple hours away from my parents. I lived as a nanny as a living nanny for a year, and then my aunt and uncle as their nanny for the rest of my college experience. And yeah, I went to college. I got a teaching degree. Go figure. Wow. But but still you're not really fully free from this. 
Would you say that even today you're wrestling through some of those things to find freedom? I would say it's interesting because I feel like about 10 years ago is when I really started dealing with it. So about 10 years ago, um, that's when Gothard first was accused of sexual harassment. And the first like lawsuits started happening and Recovering Grace was launched. And I was like, whoa, maybe I was really in a cult, you know, kind of thing. even though you had really that, that, but this was like affirmation. This was like affirmation because I went to college and I was like, I was really weird back then. I'm just going to close that door and be normal. And so I really just kind of like nobody understood the Duggars weren't on TV yet. Like I couldn't like, explain what I'd been through. So I would just be like, I was homeschooled, really conservative. And that's where I would leave it. And I was just trying super hard to like fit in with the real world. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I had an entire missing decade of my life. I had no idea about pop culture, movies, music, like the nineties are blank. You know, I've Mm. sort of pulled a little bit in here and there as I've gotten older, but you know, I had no idea. And so I didn't deal with it. I didn't think about it. I just was like, yep, that was weird. Moving on. And it wasn't until, you know, I had two children. Um, My husband was a youth pastor at that time. Suddenly I was like, And so then as I'm reading these stories online and I'm really just delving into people and their things and the things they're thinking in the process, I was like, oh my gosh. And so I just like, it all came out, you know, just this big, like, we're going to process all this right now. Yeah. I mean, I think that start, that starts (laughs) happening for a lot of people like in their thirties and forties. I think so too. And so it was just, you know, recognizing how much my marriage was affected by the things that I had still thought, you know, my children, my parenting, my children was affected by the stuff that I still thought, you know, just. So yeah, and things do pop up. I watched the Shiny Half People documentary and I was like, oh, oh, that's where that came from. You know, so like stuff that I still, yeah, there's still things where you're like, oh, look at that. Well, and hmm. when you, did you ever watch the Duggars when that started? No, I hated them because I was like so close to having been there, done that, that I already knew. I was like, I know what's going on. Like, I know who you are behind the scenes. I know about those middle children. I like, I lived it because even though I didn't have that side of family as a family, I had friends who had, you know, 10, 12 kids in their family and I would go over and I would see it and I would see what really happened. And I was, I knew. And so I was like, they're parading around on screen. Like, oh, we're perfect. We're great. And I'm like, no, you're not. So when you say that you'd go over to your families, like, what is it? What makes you say behind the scenes? Like what was really happening? Or at least from your point of view, right? The way the kids were trained. Yeah. Like how they were disciplined to be so sweet. Really? I mean, I, I've witnessed blanket training, which is where you put that baby on the blanket and you smack them every time they claw off. Yeah. Um, I saw my older friends have to run the whole household because their mom was an emotional mess who couldn't function because she had so many babies and she was depressed, but they couldn't call it depression. And so my friend is running a household of, you know, 10, 12 people as a 15 year old. Yeah. Not okay. You know, stuff like yeah. that. Where it's just like, I, I'd seen behind the scenes. I know. It was yeah. So I wasn't surprised at all when things started coming out. Goodness. So when you think about this, now, like, and you think about all that's coming out and some of these Mm -hmm. people who kind of push back against that. And I'm talking like, sometimes it's people who never really were a part of IBLP. I always want to like switch those. Has anybody done that to you? Like pushed back and said things to you like, well, was it that bad? And how do you deal with that? Because I would say that would probably send me into somewhat of a rage, but maybe not. Maybe it wouldn't. My sister-in-law's parents are still, they won't believe anything's wrong with it. So my, my brother married a girl that was also in the program and they don't want to talk about anything. Like they won't deal with it. And the people at a former church are like, what do you mean? I went to a seminar. They were fine. And I think a lot of times I just avoid it. Yeah. Like if I don't think you're actually willing to listen, right. I'm not even going to bother talking to you. Right. But like, if you're, if you're broken, if you're questioning, if you're doubting, if you're asking, yeah, let's talk. And so I think it just depends. What are you going to do? You just kind of, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you do have to discern if someone's willing to have a conversation 
about it. And if they're not, it is true. You're, you're rarely going to yeah. convince someone out of that. I think the thing that's most concerning to me, and I mentioned this in my mm-hmm. book a lot, is just how much that type of religious tendencies and ideology has really just swept through mainstream Christianity. Yep. And I think that is where a lot of these people are coming from when they're like, yeah, I'm done. Like I'm done. It's like, they've experienced all of the religion, all the rules, all the legalism, all of the, you know, silly man-made things, and they've never really met Jesus. And so I probably have more conversations with people like that than I do with people who are still talking about IBLP these days. Well, see, and I like that you say that and you share that because your book is Religious Rebels. I want to hear you share a little bit more about like, how do you engage those people? Because we see deconstruction on the rise. I honestly don't think it's that much more on the rise than it ever was before. I think we just see it more and people who are in the spotlight more are willing to share it. How do you engage with those people? Because I have found at home with my children, just addressing the hard questions, being one of the healthiest things that you can do and to stop acting like everything in Christian culture must be correct. Um, I mean, my kids sometimes at school get called Democrats and I'm like, Ooh, and they're not, they're not, that's not even true, but it's just funny because they've challenged the status quo a bit. And so what are some of the ways that you engage those people who are just saying, I don't want anything to do with faith anymore, Jesus, religion. Yeah. Like you mentioned the word deconstruction and it's kind of a polarizing term right now Or people have like, well, you can't deconstruct because then you'll lose your faith. You know, and they're like this automatic thing. If we question it, it's all going to fall apart. And I want to be like, if your faith is so wimpy right. that you can't question it, like something's wrong there. Yeah, we should. It should be solid enough to be able to really wrestle with and be like, oh, okay. All right. Okay. But then on the other side, it's almost like if you deconstruct, you must land here in this more progressive ideology of, you know, Christian thought. And if you don't, well, then you haven't really deconstructed. And I feel like there's not a good place for people to land and be like, well, I still want to believe in the Orthodox Jesus. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think that's where my book is at. And that's where my heart is at. That's where everything that I say and do and write and everything is really for those people who are wrestling and questioning. And so I just encourage people with their questions. I'm like, ask Mm -hmm. the questions, ask the questions. And I'm not going to freak out because you're like, I don't want to believe anymore. That's okay. You don't have to know what you believe anymore, you know, and to really just dig into what is it about this experience that you've had that really made you doubt this. Mm. And when your questions that you asked me, when you sent me, you said, you know, why are you asking these hard questions to people? And you might, you might be getting there. No, go ahead. I want to ask those questions. I want you to say like, is the God that I've experienced, is he good? Is he somebody that I really want to follow? Is he loving? Is he kind? People are like, well, God can't just be love. I'm like, okay, let's back up here. You know, what is, what is your theology here? What is, what do you believe about sin? What do you believe about right and wrong? And I think so often we get so stuck on, well, that's right. And that's wrong. And over over here, this person over here is like, no, 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 that's right. And that's wrong. And I'm like, maybe it's more than just right and wrong. Maybe it's about this reconnection to a relationship with the God that created us for relationship with him. Yeah. Well, and I think like, it's so important for people to understand, yes, there's sin nature, but there's. Like if you don't understand that once you say yes to the salvation in Christ, that your place at the table is secure. If you don't get that, you're likely living a religious life, not a free life in Christ. Um, And I understand that can be a hard thing to grasp. And you don't want to just constantly be like, God doesn't discipline and God doesn't do this because there's danger in that just as much as there's danger in over preaching that. Right. 
I know so many people that the first time they discover and realize, oh my gosh, like I'm not getting kicked out of the table. Like I'm not getting kicked out of my chair. I'm all, my place at the table is secure. It opens up this whole world for them because yeah. they don't, they fear God out of reverence and love than out of cowering in fear of being kicked out. And that is all the difference. Exactly. And so I think that's why I encourage the question. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people, a lot of people, even within mainstream Christianity who weren't a part of a cult, who weren't even a part of an independent fundamental Baptist For church, sure. like it was just like evangelical yep. mega church still get preached this religious gospel, which is about, you have to do these things yeah. in order for God to be happy with you. You have to do these things for God to bless you. You have to do these things in order to get what you want from God. And that's just not the gospel. It's not. And that's not the Jesus that I've encountered. It's not like he's, he's full of grace and he's chasing after sinners, like the ones that are messed up and don't care and, you know, are living their own way. And that's who he's after. Like he wants the worst of the worst. And he's like, no, I like you. Yeah. And so I think when we can recognize that and be like, wait, nothing I do or don't do is going to affect how he thinks about me. Like, he's not going to be disappointed. He's not going to love me less. He's not going to whatever. Suddenly you're like, oh, and in that freedom and love, suddenly you really allow him to change your heart, which is where the behaviors really need. That's where it that's starts. Right. You know, like, that's where the root if is. Your heart, if your heart changes, exactly. If your heart changes and he works on, you know, the fear and the anxiety and, you know, the pride that you have in your heart because he's changing you and making you more like him, like your outward actions are naturally going to change. That's right. They might not line up with your religious friends over mm -hmm. here, but you'll have the fruit of the spirit coming out of you. Yeah. And, and to like, realize that that is a lifelong process. Like absolutely, nobody has all the joy there is to have today. Right. That's why there's verses that say God will continue his good work in you until the day of Christ Jesus. It is not finished until the end. And so that's that, you know, being patient with yourself and others. And then when you're not patient with yourself and others, realizing that God is the one who is patient with you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the grace is abundant. <laughs> yes. And his grace is lavish. Yes. And it's like constant. And so. That's why there's a part in my book when I say, um, God didn't save us to make us good. He saved us to make us reconnected in that relationship. That's right. And that's probably not a direct, a direct quote, but that's one of the things that I've had people reach out to me and say, like, I was blown away by that statement because we're so fixated on good and evil in our brokenness, which we can't even really tell them apart because we're broken, <laughs> you know, like, yes, <laughs> that's where we fixate instead of recognizing, like, I have been given a restored relationship with the God who made me who loves me and who wants to know me. Yeah. Like that's the beauty of it all. Yeah, it is. And out, it's out of the overflow of that and the lack of abandonment. Like you don't, you don't get abandoned when things happen. And yeah, when, when you, you act up, like a human, <laughs> you don't, you don't yeah. get abandoned by God. You might get abandoned by everyone else, including yeah. your Christian friends, including me, because I also act out of my flesh and don't always treat. And I mean, I think that's where it's hard with cults or people in situations where they are held to a higher standard and accountability yeah. because they're responsible for teaching people below them. That whole idea of, well, you're not extending the same grace to them. And I'm like, is that true? Or is it that we all agree that they don't need to be in that position anymore? 
Right. That's the difference, right? right? Like if you can't handle the position, then you do have to be removed or you just keep wounding people. And and I think, like you said, like it's the level of, because yeah, we've seen this a lot in the church lately where people are in leadership are abusing people and people in leadership are, you know, causing scandal or all this kind of stuff. And so, you, yeah, you have to remove those people because they're abusing that's right. their position of power. Like that's not, you don't just, oh, we're, we're going to give you grace. No, they, they go because they're hurting people. Yeah. And we, and we that's, see that's Jesus totally, do that's that. That's totally scriptural. Right. Yeah, totally scriptural. We see Jesus doing that. Well, so tell me this yeah. as we begin to close out here and you kind of already have, but where would you say like your faith is today, your faith in Christ? Like, where would you say that is even in conversations with your family and just in relationships with people in the online space and work and all the places? Cause you teach, um, math. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, fifth, fifth grade math. Aww. Yes. That's sweet. That's pretty great. Yeah. So yeah. Where would you say your, your faith in Christ is today in relationship with other people? I would say that, um, as far as my personal faith, I am more secure than ever in like the cores of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So the things that people have believed for the last 2000 years, the things that we believe across denominational lines, like those cores of the faith, like I am solid on them. I also have probably more questions, doubts, wonderings, ponderings, um, places that I'm like, I don't really know where I think about that than I ever have before. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this earlier. So often Christians are like, well, what's, what's the truth? What's the truth? And you're like, some of it is gonna be like, I don't know. It's complicated. It's paradox. I'm holding these truths in tension. Like this seems to be true. And also this, and I'm not sure how that works, but that's okay. I feel like I'm more, um, so yeah, more confident and also more okay with questions I know. and not having answers. So that's how personally I feel like I am. Um, I don't know. I think I'm less concerned about people and their outward actions than I ever used to be. Mm. And I recognize this um, probably a few years ago. And I was like, huh, doesn't bother me like it used to. That's a good thing. Yeah. You know, as you recognize like your own pharisaical heart is is being transformed by the grace of God. And you're like, so less concerned people's outward actions, more concerned about their hearts. Like I am just obsessed with like people meeting Jesus. Mm. Like I want you to hear the the clear gospel that God made a way for you to know him again. And it was through his son Jesus Christ. Mm. And that the only thing you have to do to be back in that relationship is believe in what Jesus already did for you. Amen to that. That's what I want to share with people. That's what I want them to understand because once they meet Jesus and encounter the Holy Spirit for themselves, he will work on them. Mm -hmm. Well, I was reading a a review that someone wrote about religious rebels. And I mean, it's kind of a paraphrase, but they definitely said like, this was an eye opener for me um, personally, as someone who was also a part of the same cult and, um, just awakening their spirit to what you just said. And so uh, last question, like how have you seen your little book out in the world make some of that impact? It's been fun just to kind of watch, like my goal in writing the book was that I didn't want it to be just for women or just for a certain age demographic. Like I had my audience, my mind, but I also wanted it to be something that would be broad. And so it's been interesting to watch people who have picked it up that I would never have expected. Like one of my daughter's teachers, um, picked it up and I didn't know anything really about his background, but he like was writing on Facebook about it. Like this book should have a warning sign on it. You know, my, my little conservative mind is being just blown. And I was like, but you know, he's an older gentleman. I had another man reach out recently um, on Facebook and said, my mother sent me your book. And he's an older biker dude. I mean, like you looked at, I looked up on Facebook. I was like, who are you? And he's like, oh, these Harleys. And he's like older kind of, you know, guy. 
And I had known his mother back um, when we were at Bible college, which we didn't talk about that, but, um, and so <laughs> I was like, huh. And he basically said, I couldn't put it down. Thanks for writing it. And then I've had former youth group kids that we taught years and years ago, reach out and just say, like, my mind is blown on chapter four, which is about salvation. Mm. And I'm so excited with what I'm you know, reading and hearing here. And so it's been fun just to watch people say, like, this made me seek Jesus more. Mm-hmm. This made me be, you know, get back in my Bible and realize so it's going to be okay. And I'm like, yes. Yes. <laughs> like, to me, to me, it's not about being a bestseller or, like, you know, having my name out there. It's like, I just want you to meet Jesus. And so if a handful of people read my little book and go, oh, my gosh, like, I feel freedom in my questions. I feel freedom in my doubts. And I also feel freedom to come to Jesus with them. Like that. I'm like, yeah, mm. that's awesome. That was worth oh, it. I love that. It's not a formula. There is no, no one size fits all nope. minus the way to be restored to him. Right. Which is like so simple because he already did it, it for really us. Is. So like, do, do you want it? If you want it, you can. That's right. It. That's right. Well, Christy, thank you so much. I'm grateful that uh, you're where you are today and that you're a voice Mm -hmm. for people who maybe weren't ever a part of, like you said, these really conservative circles, but maybe have stayed away from it because of some way they were influenced. So thank you. If you want to learn more about Christy's story, her book, Religious Rebels, is linked in the show notes. And as I mentioned in the intro, If you have experienced spiritual hurt, or maybe you know someone who has, or maybe you simply want to better understand those who've been impacted, I have a free resource list at graceenoughpodcast.com slash spiritual hurt. You can go and download this list for free again at graceenoughpodcast.com slash spiritual hurt. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.